88.9 FM in Irvine and standing by to join me is Maggie Smith with her new book of poetry, wonderful poetry that I loved, Goldenrod. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I forgot to add, you're a Pushcart prize-winning poet. I need to add that. That's an <laughs> Wow. Tell me about, um, first of all, I always like to find out your backstory into poetry. Did you always love to write poetry as a child? I started writing poems as a teenager. So mm -hmm. I think I wrote my first poem around 13 and just kind of kept doing it. And I joke now when people ask, you know, why poems? Um, I say somewhat facetiously, but also honestly, it's really the only thing I've ever found that is natural for me to do other than parenting my kids. It just feels um, like second nature. So even if I didn't continue writing poems down, I don't think mm -hmm. I could stop thinking in oh, poems. Okay. Yeah. And you're an observer of life. You, you just take these moments and you capture them in words. Yeah, I mean, that's the material. I think in, in some ways my, my job is sort of just going out and having my antenna up Mm -hmm. and staying open and observant to what I see and hear and feel and notice. And then the poem is really me just trying to get that down and work it out for myself and to create some, some whole that I feel satisfied with when I, when I finally finish it. I remember taking poetry classes and getting a little intimidated, <laughs> you know, I, I just didn't, I couldn't quite get it. Now I can write you know, uh, fiction, nonfiction, screenwriting, but poetry is a whole other arena. It's funny. I, so many people say that. And I, the more conversations I have with people who feel um, that poetry is tricky, it makes me, it sort of uh, confirms something I suspect, which is that it's taught poorly. That's probably. Um, yeah. I mean, I think if, if you're taught that poems are riddles for you to solve and that the meaning is hidden under all of these layers of symbolism and metaphor and that the, the writer is really smart and has tucked it away and it's up to us to find the key decode and get it. it out. Yeah, and decode <laughs> it. I mean, that doesn't sound like fun to me, frankly. And so I think, you know, when I'm working with students, whether they're, you know, at elementary or grad school, so much of what we do is just, what do you notice about this poem? What choices did the writer make what are they describing? What do you think they're feeling? What does it make you feel? Or what right. does it make you want to write yourself? And I think engaging with poems at that level and not trying to quote unquote, say what they mean is, is so much, um, it's just a more welcoming. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I also feel that poetry, you know, any kind of writing that you can teach children at a young age is such a tool for them to have as they go through life and it gets bumpy. Oh yeah. I mean, writing is a way that we process and some of us are really great at processing verbally and some of us not so much. And it's really handy to be able to go into a notebook, even if you never show it to another person right. and have a space to, to articulate things. So, I mean, my kids both have writing notebooks and um, it's always like an easy gift to pick them up. If I'm out someplace, get them another notebook and, right. and they'll fill it with drawings or ideas or things they want to share with me or things they don't. Mm -hmm. and, and that's all good. 
Yes. I always um, tell people that's where I started my writing journey in a notebook. You know, I was going through stuff, losing my dad. My dad actually had cancer and I'd be on a plane and I'm writing and writing. And it was so unbelievable that pouring it out on the page is so cathartic. It can be, I think. And I think for me, at least creating something that makes sense or that I feel like is finished it doesn't necessarily solve the problem that I brought to the page. It doesn't yeah. make the grief go away. Sure. It doesn't um, undo whatever the thing is that I've brought to the page, but there is something, um, there is something, healing is a word that makes me nervous because I, I generally think that it's sort of like a process that never really ends and no one is ever really healed from, yeah, from anything. Yeah. yeah, but I do think it's a healing process. It's part of that to, to get to say the thing mm-hmm. instead of just letting it fester. Yes. Inside. Well, I feel like with me, I put things in their place. I get it out on paper. I can put it on the shelf. Yep. It's, it's like I've taken, it's not gone, but it's t- just taken it out and it's a little less painful. Yeah, that right? makes sense. Uh, and I think for me, especially the form of poetry, whether even if it's a free verse poem, but the idea of giving something a shape mm-hmm. and sort of making formal choices around it, something about that is so satisfying. And it does make me feel like I've contained it in some way, or I have a better grasp of it in some way. Yes. Uh, I have your book here. There she is. <laughs> um, but I want to tell you about a week ago in our local paper here in Orange County, there was a whole feature on you. Sorry, my alarm is going off. <laughs> um, there was a whole feature on you in our local paper, and I took notes. Um, and it, it's a wonderful full-page feature on you, but also that talks about good bones. Could you talk about a little bit about that? Yeah, so Good Bones is a poem I wrote in the summer of 2015, just at a coffee shop in my neighborhood. And then when it was published about a year later in June of 2016, it went viral in part because the week that it was published online was the week of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And also the same week that Joe Cox, a member of parliament was uh, murdered in England. And so uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, people were sharing the poem widely for, for different reasons. And then it went viral again after the presidential election. Um, and, and now I sort of call it a disaster barometer. It's one of those poems that shared widely when bad things happen or when people are seeking some comfort or hope in what seems to be an impossible situation. Um, and, and frankly, it's shared a lot because it seems like we have a lot of those moments uh, in this country and in the world. Right. Yeah. What was it? 17 lines? Yeah, it's not long. I mean, most of my poems are not long. I'm a whittler. So the more I revise a thing, usually the smaller it gets. It tends not to grow because my my goal is always to be as concise and sort of concentrated and distilled as possible. So it's not a long poem. Um, And in part, I think that's what helped it find so many readers because it's a poem that you can take a little picture of and pop it on Twitter or Instagram and the whole thing fits in one little screenshot because it is so brief. 
And that helped it, um, I think, find its way around the world too. Is it hard to know when you're done with a poem? (laughs) Yes, I don't always know. I mean, I still have a, a friend or two that I send poems too, as I'm working on them. And I wrote a few last week, which is unusual for me. I don't usually write a few poems in a week. I'm very slow. Um, And I thought, I don't trust this. These came very quickly. And I was able to send them to a friend who said, no, I'd change a couple of things, but pretty much these are done. And that's very helpful. Um, Often, really, I know the poem is done when I don't feel the need to fuss over it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's an intuitive thing. It's like, what is the balance? Like, has it, is it saying what it came to say? Does it feel interesting to me? Have I discovered something in the course of writing it? And have I not over revised it? Because that's something we can do too. It's like, we can just scrub all the interest out of a thing by trying to make it perfect. And that's, that's not interesting either. So that's always a challenge. It's like, when to call it. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes we get exhausted by it. We, we've spent so much of our energy writing and revising and, and then we just have to put it aside. Oh yeah. I mean, time never made anything worse. And I tell my students that also time will not make a poem or an essay or a story or a novel worse. So, you know, maybe what you need to do is set that thing aside and let it steep a little bit like tea and then trust future you to be able to look at it in a week or a month or six months or a year, and maybe something will click and you'll see the thing that it needs, that secret ingredient or the change in sequencing or the thing that's extra or the thing that's missing and that you're not just, you're not able to see at this particular moment. Sure. I think time can be such a gift too, because I feel like things I've written, if I think they're lousy, Sometimes they really are. And then I come back to it and I can just rip it apart and cut it, cut it, cut it, and then get to the gym. Yep. And sometimes time will teach you that actually the thing wasn't lousy at all. You come back to it and it stands up and you think, I was just in a weird headspace and I wasn't able to see it. I wasn't able to see it clearly at that time. Yeah. It's so easy to let self-doubt get in the way or other people's, you know, feedback, which isn't so helpful. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I teach creative writing. And so something I'm always telling my students is that you have to weigh any feedback or advice about a piece of writing against your own vision for the piece. So if somebody says, well, I think the title should be X, or I think you should lop off this section, it doesn't mean it's good advice because maybe if the person, if it were their poem, that's what they would do, but it's not. So like, how do you feel about it? What are you trying to get across? Because the the damage is the Franken poem, like the Frankensteining together of a bunch of people's ideas, and then it's not really yours. And so how yes. do you keep it yours while also being open yes. and receptive? I, I call it like you can compare it to baking a cake where somebody says, oh, it's delicious. Someone says it's too sugary. Someone says, oh, it needs it needs this in it. It should be pink when it's chocolate. Yep. You know, everybody has their opinion. It's up to you really to decide how it should be. Exactly. Although chocolate is never wrong. I will go on record by saying that. See, I like you even more. (laughs) Uh, Tell me, because the name of my show is Get the Funk Out, um, how how do you handle rough times in life? Is it through writing? Is it through poetry? It often is. And and honestly, sometimes it's also letting myself off the hook from Mm -hmm. that. So if I feel like writing, I write. And if I don't, I don't. And I have no, I have no word count. 
that I hold myself to. I don't have a certain number of hours. I feel like I need to be in this chair doing it. I sort of let myself tell myself what to do. <laughs> and so sure. if I'm feeling inspired, I write. And oftentimes that does kind of help me get through tough times because it's the thing that I do that makes me feel the most like me, mm -hmm. like my core self beyond whatever noise is happening in my life. If I write, I can go to that kind of quiet, still place in my mind. And that's really helpful. At the same time, sometimes things are just so difficult. I don't really feel like writing. I would rather have a happy hour with friends or go I roller agree. skate or take my son to the skate park or take a long walk or take a nap. And so not feeling the need to be overly productive during hard times, um, you know, letting, letting myself have a break and, and really practice good self-care, um, yes. that's important too, I think. You know, I felt like that yesterday. I, I thought, oh, there's so many things I need to do. I should be writing. I should be doing this. And I didn't have anything in me. Yeah. And normally I'm go, go, go. And I thought, just let it go. Yep. Someone's it's, trying to tell you something. It's in there. And that's the thing. If I don't write a today or tomorrow or for a month, I know it's not over. The stuff is just sort of percolating in my brain mm -hmm. and it's taking its time. And when something kind of gathers or congeals in a way that it needs to come out, it will. I mean, it, it has for 30 years. I have no reason to believe that, that this is going to be when it stops. So I just need mm -hmm. to trust in it. How have you been during the pandemic? Has it been really tough? You know, especially you got this book out. What's it been like? Yeah, I've had, this is my second book during the pandemic, which is a little bit crazy. <laughs> I managed to put oh. out two books in two years and Zoom book tour, both of them. Um, I have two children who, uh, and I'm a single parent. And so right now they're in in-person school, but over the past year and a half, we have had a mix of hybrid Zoom in-person. No, actually we're not gonna do that. We're gonna go back to Zoom. Yeah. No, we're gonna go back to in-person. Um, it has been really hectic um, and busy in lots of ways, both pro professionally and personally. But also um, I, have, I have managed to also just wring a lot of joy out of the past Good. year and a half. So I, I feel like um, you know, it could be so much worse than it is now. And I, I try to keep some perspective on that. Yes, yeah. Well, it's, it's really incredible, two books in the past few years. I mean, it's a good thing. I like to write. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a certain time of day or it just comes to you and you just get ideas? Um, you know, I, I don't have a certain time of day. I do find that my edges are a little softer in the morning and late at night. And I think it's that kind of like when you're just awake and you're not quite out of dream state and you haven't mm -hmm. gone into the business of your day and you haven't read the news and you haven't looked at your umpteenth email. Yes. There's something about that early time that is, I feel like my mind is kind of clear and primed mm -hmm. to write. And then same thing late at night after I've shoved everything else aside and I'm going towards sleep. Sometimes that kind of soft time of day is good for me too. But, uh, you know, I can't always work on my druthers schedule. So I, I learn sometimes that if I've got from one to four, I need to do my best from one to four and yes. um, yeah. And we make it work. And as moms, you know, I, I know for me, I just try to carve out time maybe really early when no one's up yet with my uh, coffee 
that's a gem or saying, hey, my door is closed. I'm just doing something for me. This is my me time. And it used to be a writing class once a week. Yeah. And that's important. I mean, I, I used to feel a, like a bit of mother guilt about that. Like, well, I should be doing stuff with them all the time. And then I thought, what kind of no. model is that actually setting for both right. my daughter and my son? If I basically say, no, I, it's like the giving tree. Like I am kindling, burn me for whatever you wish. Right. Actually, that's not useful. Um, no. What's useful is them seeing uh, like me as a whole person and they know that they are the top priority, but that doesn't mean I don't have other things sure. that I enjoy or that I need to do. And so yes. now I do, I'll just shut the French doors behind me and say, give me an hour, read, ride your bike, Lego. Mm -hmm. If it's, if someone's bleeding, please come get me. If not, yes. I will come yell all clear and then we'll hang out. And, and they've been really, really good about that. That builds a lot of respect. I think so. And, and mutual respect because I trust them yeah. to keep themselves occupied and I trust them not to interrupt me. And they have never let me down in that regard. And so yeah. we're, you know, we're a team. Yes. So important. Wonderful. Where can people find out more about you? So I am, um, I'm the other Maggie Smith. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, uh, as Meryl Streep once said, when reading Good Bones at Lincoln Center, she said, I'm going to read a poem by Maggie Smith. Not that one. So I am not that one, or I am the other one. The um, other so my, my social media is at Maggie Smith Poet. Okay. And the poet lets you know I'm not the dame. And my website is maggiesmithpoet.com. So if you, if you Google Maggie Smith, you're going to find the Dowager Countess of Grantham or Professor McGonagall. Um, but if you Google <laughs> Maggie Smith Poet, you will find poems. Do you want to quickly read one uh poem from your book um i would love to do you have a request choose. or shall i well, let choose? me see hold okay. on i flagged there were so many um let's see give me one second yeah. i have oh. my little notes here i'm sure everybody asks you to read goldenrod but let me see um you know what do you want to read at the end of our marriage in the backyard sure okay i have to find the page i think it's 24 24. I knew it was sort of early-ish. There it is. Okay. At the end of our marriage in the backyard, we let the lawn go to wild violets and dandelions, to crabgrass, to clover bending under the weight of so many honeybees our children can't run barefoot. We do nothing, letting ivy snarl around the downspouts and air conditioner letting milkweed grow and float its white feathers. We do nothing and call it something as if this wilding were intentional. If there is honey, I tell myself, we are to thank. All summer, the children must wear shoes. We sit out back while they crouch in the clover, watching the bees, calling out when they see sunny crumbs of pollen on their legs. Maybe no one will be stung. Late in the season, we sit ankle deep in weeds and flowers, in weeds we call flowers. Mm. You know, I, I related to that because when I was going through a, a dark time when my dad was very sick, my yard was just weeds and it was a reflection of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we say we're, we're pollinator friendly here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little euphemistic, but it just means I'm not actually killing anything. I'll, I'll mow and that's about as much yard work as I do. Right. Oh. 
Well, this has been wonderful. Um, I think this, you know, reading this, these, these poems, I, I think about how inspiring this can be to people right now who feel that life can be so challenging and they're having a hard time processing. And again, for all ages. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I so appreciate it. This has been a joy. Absolutely. And now, do you teach online classes as well? Well, I teach in a low residency MFA program. So I teach graduate students and, and most of it is online because it's low residency. So they live where they live and I live okay. where I live and we email back and forth. And I, and I do do occasional either travel for readings or, or online readings. And usually I'll post about those on my website. Okay, good. So I'll have people check out your website for more information. Sounds good. Wonderful to meet you. Congratulations. You too. Nice meeting you too. Thank you. Thank you.